I think that's JT. JT? That's me. Hey, buddy. Hey, we're here. Oh, here we are. How wonderful. This is one of my favorite places to be. Oh, man. I am so excited to be doing this right now. You know, if you had just ended that with, I'm so excited, I was going to hit that straight up with the, and you just can't hide it, but you know, you kept going and, and that's okay. Is that the nineties? No, it, I mean, it's really the pointer sisters, um, whose song was in Beverly Hills cop, which drags us right back to last week. So, you know, it's always circular here. Everything is just referencing and re- meta and more referencing and more meta. I have some real good tiebacks to last week's podcast for this week. <laughs> I mean, how wouldn't you? In fact, last week's podcast actually left me with an idea for like a, I don't even know what it'd be. It's like, um, it's like the which hat, which hat are you in Harry Potter thing where you have like a site that's like, was this 80s or 90s? And you do all stuff that happened basically in 1989 and 1990. Yeah. Like, I just think it'd be a fun, like, like uh, do the right thing as a movie. Most people think it's a nineties movie, right? right? Die hard. Most people think it's a nineties movie, both as we mentioned, eighties movies, but what are other things? Like how many people think the Berlin wall came down in the eighties, not the nineties or, and vice versa. So yeah. anyhow, that was my, or maybe it's good SNL skit for like three minutes till it becomes five <laughs> minutes and too long. <laughs> right. <laughs> that might be, that might be the path for that one for sure. So, Jer, how are you now before we get into our movie podcast? Well, uh, to continue my meta tradition of last week alive, I am currently drinking a Treehouse beer. Thanks mm-hmm. to my buddy, Jeff. Jeff, thanks for the beer. And um, I'm enjoying the heck out of it, but I'm drinking it as as it now ties back to my memory last week of building a fully operational treehouse for my children. And she's a beaut, I got to say. She's a beaut. Thanks, buddy. I, you know, I gotta, I'm, I'm ready to put a second story on that thing already. Here we go. I was going to say, if, if there was an over under on how long before you took this to a whole nother level, <laughs> I would have taken like, I it just, there's nothing that would have made me say, this is going to become a thing for sure. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if soon there was a series of tree houses connected by zip lines somehow that end up with you in a pool. I could just see it all happen. Listen, should society start crashing down? We're living in my trees. I'm in. Okay. You know the address. You're welcome anytime, buddy. Listen, I watched one episode of Treehouse Masters and went, I could do that. Like, I'm, I'm all for it. Yeah, I watched an episode two, did the same. The answer is no, you can't. But uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll go into that another time. Uh, I have a nice... I, I showed you my, my semi-scar. Oh, yeah. yeah. There's good stuff coming. But, but you know what? It was a blast, and it was one of those like if you ever need convincing that that setting a small goal and then uh, then rapidly accomplishing that goal feels awesome. Last week, like cloud nine, and you I, listen. I was just so filled with pride for you that that's kind of I think that's my weekly update too. Is like I just felt the the pride that you felt was so strong that I also felt that pride. Also, I did nothing of value. So I, uh, that's just going to be my thing. <laughs> you, well, nothing of value, sir. You did hours of editing on previous podcasts. Don't forget <laughs> that. What's the, um, what's the term when, um, some people put on weight. It's not a, it's not a surrogate. It's a, yeah, it's sympathy. It's just sympathy pain, isn't it? Or so yes, yeah, so you had like whatever that you had like sympathy pride. I don't know what that. Yeah. We'll go with yeah. sympathy pride. Yeah. 
Pro- by proxy? Pride by proxy? I don't know. Pride by proxy is probably the keeper. That also would be a really good like uh, late, like early 90s ska band name. Pride by proxy would be a really good band name. <laughs> they would. They probably <laughs> opened for the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones a couple of times. Oh, for sure. Before they decided to take a darker route and go more sublime heavy and get into like the real deep SoCal ska, but you know, whatever. <laughs> but that guy's still dancing. I know that much. Forever. No. Funny enough, this is, so this is a complete non sequitur, but I saw them in Tompkins Square Park like recently oh. for, for no reason. They were just like, we were walking when we still lived in the city. I was just walking through Tompkins Square Park and heard what is very clearly them and was like, this can't be a thing. Walked over, me, kid, stroller, dog. I was like, this is the this is happening. <laughs> and was that one dude doing the running man? Yes. Of course. He never stops. Full zoot suits for no reason. By the way, it was like July. Too hot. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I saw them in the early 2000s, right right after they had been big, when and, and they were in a pretty cool bar in San Francisco. We ended up like mosh pitting our way to the front, 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 and just had a good old time. They were, they were a good live show, I will say that. Or they were like 20 years ago. Listen, as of like within the last three years, they were still a ton of fun to watch, I got to tell you. And... Because they will, there will be a reference made to them later in this podcast. Uh, it is a perfect segue into, hey, Jeremy, what do we love this week? Uh, we love the 90s. <laughs> we do love the 90s. We do. We like the 90s. That was it. All right. I got it right. Yay. We love our podcast. We love lists. We love movies. We love the 90s. We love blockbusters. So what we really love is a list of five great movies from the 90s that were blockbusters to put into our podcast. Yeah, I love a good podcast. And I love a good list. And this one in particular. So we're going to do this is the continuation of our five part series where we're doing top five summer movies from the 90s with the quote unquote blockbusters. This is part three. Of, part three of a of a five or more part series. Yeah, it's it's um if my research is any indication to what two thousand is going to look like, we might be breaking two thousand two thousand ten into two parts. <laughs> like because this list got on. We are now in the realm of I was alive when these movies came out and old enough to enjoy them, and so it has turned into a. It's a whole different problem set for me to solve now. Um, so I, I have empathy for you with how hard the 80s must have been. Uh, to be fair, the 90s were to just, fair. to be fair, the 90s were just as difficult because the thing I learned along the way was how much, you know, if 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 our trifling of movies in the 60s and 70s as summer blockbusters begat the 80s era of, oh my gosh, there were some amazing summer movies, the 90s really begat the summer blockbuster era big time i agree uh i get a point for using the word begat i believe sure i'll, I'll give you two points two point okay because that wasn't on the that was not on the scorecard when i reviewed it earlier no no it was not on word bingo for okay. for wingman podcasts uh so jared what are we gonna do uh, by the way let's come back to that topic later because i have a new great idea i'm just saying <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> uh, so what are we going to do about this? Sh- let, let, let's, let's talk Shawshank. All right. So as a quick recap on the Shawshank rule, the Shawshank rule was established in the rewatchables episode, and we used it as the 
it there's too much of this to even be in the top five list. It's just its own special category. And we are recurring the Shawshank rule for all categories. The summer blockbuster five plus part miniseries we've established that the Star Wars franchise is the ultimate of Shawshank for blockbusters. True. Ergo, we also need to look at what else might be out for the 90s. I have one. It's sort of still in my list, but I've got one. You? I have I have one that I didn't put in my list because I knew if it wasn't in my list, it would be in your list, and I bet it's the same one. So you're sort of cheating, but playing by the rules. Okay, I respect that. So um, 18th biggest grossing film of all time, $859 million adjusted for uh, whatever, <laughs> and has spawned two direct sequels and then a whole second yep. franchise trilogy, whatever it might be. Yep. Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park. Yeah. I really wish that we could do a drop of the kid playing the theme song on recorder right now. Do, 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 do. <laughs> well, I think we've got tomorrow's nostalgia entry. <laughs> yeah, we sure do. There you go. <laughs> Uh, so wait, so are we establishing that Jurassic Park is the Shawshank of the 90s summer blockbuster list? I think we should Shawshank Jurassic Park for, for, for sure. Deal. I will, I, will, I will adjust my list accordingly. Thankfully, I only have like 20 backup options for what could have been there. I fully wrote, like my list is actually nine deep. Like my research list is nine, just in case. And maybe because my mood might change. I don't know. I just went through the whole thing. I had that this grossed over a billion. So I have this on the 13th all-time adjusted for inflation at 2.1 billion, according to one website. Oh, really? Well, according to another... Are you, wait a sec. Are there two websites that are wrong about a thing? No. That can't happen. Not possible. Internet's always true. Uh, I know that if it's on the internet, it's truth. All right. Well, uh, somewhere between 13th and 18th and a whole lot of shekels for Jurassic Park. So many shekels. Can we, but, but can we talk about Jurassic Park or do we have to just simply eliminate it? I think we can talk about it. Let's talk about it. So I, I got to be honest, I have, a, I have a strong reaction to this movie, but I, I got to be honest, I kind of want to hear yours first because your Jurassic Park seeing, if I'm, if I'm correct, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on a limb if I get this all correct. You're somewhere between 8 and 11 years old and you're seeing the theaters, I hope. Maybe not because it was considered actually a thriller more than just an action movie then again it's spielberg uh and i'm gonna go with i think this thing utterly rocked your world so jurassic park i saw in theaters i was eight eight yep nailed it um and it was a moment like it was a real talk next level i didn't know that could happen oh my god dinosaurs are real moment for sure. So much so that I remember one of the theaters in uh, where I grew up had the shaking seats. Do you remember that whole deal? Oh, the four, you, saw, you saw it in 4D. Yeah, yeah. So they had like certain theaters would get like this, like basically like one row of rumble seats that would like shake like with the bass even more so. Um, but yeah, no, Jurassic Park was like, it was a, it was an event. It's probably one of the first movies. It's not the first movie. And I can tell you what the first movie I have memories of, um, being like a real event to watch, but it's like, it's definitely, it was a pivotal moment in sort of like theater experience for me, for sure. 
I remember a lot of the scenes being like scary, like actually a little bit scary and unnerving because it was like almost too real. Oh, the kitchen. The kitchen was crazy scary. The kitchen was scary. Also, you know, but, you know, long term introduced me to Jeff Goldblum, which is, uh, you know, because I don't know, he was in Cocoon, but I was too young for that. So, <laughs> so what's he in Cocoon? He's in one of those movies. You're talking about Brundlefly? Okay. <laughs> sure. You don't know what I'm talking about. The Fly from the 80s. Yeah. Totally a great movie for that's up for a good reboot. Um, although they just make it too gory and disgusting these days, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, that was Jeff Goldblum's like big role in the eighties was the Fly. Yeah, that's um, what I was thinking of. So, yeah. what was your experience with this movie? Because you were you were of a different plate. You were in a different place. Yeah, I was in college already, and we knew this movie was coming. It was Spielberg, and it was about dinosaurs. The previews did a very good job getting you excited for a world of dinosaurs without revealing at the time how good they made it look. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting, by the way, I just rewatched this about two weeks ago with my family for the first time. And A, holds up to the point where like they were into it. There was no point where they were like, these special effects suck, dad, you know, which, which would be at least what they would say, uh, <laughs> if not leave. Um, so the movie holds up. I remember, and, and I'll be honest, I got a little quietly emotional rewatching it because I don't think I've seen it in 20 or so years. And it took me back to, it was as if I had watched it for the first time again. And that scene where they, with a big reveal of the brontosauruses, like watching that on, on the screen at home and the sweeping music comes over and I was just like, oh my gosh, I remember this. And what I remember was that f- that beyond Star Wars in a different in a, in a way that's hard to explain, like Star Wars made a whole new world that like didn't really exist be- come to life. Jurassic Park made this world come to life in a way that you couldn't have imagined before. It was so phenomenal. And I just remember sitting in the theaters. I remember the Brontosaurus saying, I just remember like mouth dropped open watching this amazing amazing movie moment that i think if you can't appreciate what it did from for storytelling and cgi and 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 actually using technology to further a story not just because they could but because it was ready it's almost like the phantom menace or or the entire prequel trilogy lesson around overusing new technology Jurassic Park only used mature enough effects to do all the stuff they did. And it was hands down amazing. I mean, that is truly beautifully said. Thanks, buddy. That was a big movie for me. It was fun to rewatch it. That's really cool too, because I've never thought of it in that in that sense, but you're right. Like, and again, like, you know, like emotionally I wasn't there when I watched it the first time. But thinking about the fact now that like that was our world intensified as opposed to like going somewhere else. That's a really beautiful sort of way to, to think about it. And also, man, John Williams, dude, everything John Williams touches, like the, 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 the sound and the, the scale of that movie is oh, yeah. so beautifully in, in like, they're so tied together. Um, it's really, yeah, even now, and I've watched it recently and it's still so good. Like it's still so good. I think the most surprising thing I discovered on a rewatch is actually how how infrequently they use the score. The the score, which which, and you know me, I'm a, I'm a big movie score nerd guy, and I listen to them. And, and Jurassic Park's in my wheelhouse. 
But upon rewatching, realizing that a couple of the themes really only come in like two or three times tops. I think to a certain extent, though, that makes them more memorable when they do. Could be. Could be. Are we Shawshanked out? I think we're Shawshanked. Yeah, I have nothing else. I just so Star Wars and Jurassic Park, I feel like are probably the best ones. Um, I have nothing else. I think the rest are going to be fun to go through. So I want to introduce a new thing, which I'm going to call Not Summer Movie Pong. Do you have a list of movies that you thought would have been summer blockbusters from the 90s and were not? And we could just rapid fire go back and forth if you have any. I, I might have a list like that. It, I, don't, I don't think, to be candid, I don't think my list in this category is going to be quite as long as yours is. But I do have, uh, let's say, 10 pretty solid entries. Okay, so I've got more than that, but we can, <laughs> we can just go back and forth for a while. Okay. So we'll fly through these. So I'm going to start with two to knock them both out at the same time, which if they had been in summer would have been on my list because this is actually the movie I was talking about coming to life, even more so than Jurassic Park, is both Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2. Secret of the Ooze? Loved Secret of the Ooze. When was the last time you saw it? When I was nine. Okay, just leave it like that. I'm not going to watch it again. Yeah, no. Ooh, that's a good list. <laughs> Five movies that you saw as a child, absolutely loved, and should never, ever watch again because they're secretly terrible. That's a good, yeah, we will definitely do that list. And then that, so, that would be so, on that list for me. So just staying with that for a sec, is what you like about it the Vanilla Ice song? No, so the music played a big role. The the What I think I remember the most about that particular movie being a kid is it got a little bit more playful and the introduction of other mutant people. So they were weird. Like, I don't know. I just, I, I think the, the introduction of more actual like ooze characters for me. It, it was the T M N T N M T E U. Sure. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I'm glad you brought it up because the first one actually does have a very special place in my heart. It wasn't on my list, but I love that movie and I'm glad you brought it up. And now I feel like I need to rewatch it very soon. So the first one came out March 30th of 1990. And like, I still have like very serious Casey Jones stuff. Like I love that movie, like to pieces. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, what's that actor's name? Cause I see him and I'm like, Oh, Casey Jones and other people are like the SVU guy. Yeah. Yeah. Chris Maloney. Something. Christopher Maloney. Yeah. yeah. Every time I see him, I'm like Casey Jones. Casey Jones, <laughs> Casey Jones right. Chronicles as a Netflix series. I'd watch the heck out of. Oh, yeah. Forget Punisher. Give me Casey Jones. <laughs> uh, all right. So um, my first Summer Pong entry? Yeah. Uh, okay. I'm going to skip a couple of these because there's context. Um, my first one will be Hook. Ah, I have Hook. Love Hook. If Hook was in summer, it would have been on this list for sure. Love that movie. Hook. Yeah. Hook was one of those like I thought was going to be a summer movie. It was surprised it wasn't. Yep. Um, one for me, Jumanji. Yeah, that's on my list. Couldn't believe that that wasn't a summer movie because that to me was even bigger. I remember that theater experience very similarly to Jurassic Park because it was, I was two years older. So it's just like, again, elevated. I saw it at the, the Norma Jean theater. Like I remember where I was, like it was a great, great experience. What else you got? Let's run, let's run through these. Adam's family. Oh, uh, good one. Uh, Goodfellas. Uh, was not on my list. I would never have expected that as a summer blockbuster, but it's a great movie. It just felt like a. It felt like it would have been a big release, and it was September nineteenth, so it was close. <laughs> uh, I've got one that I'm assuming would be on your list. Uh, Goldeneye. No, totally forgot about Goldeneye, but I do have Tomorrow Never Dies because I actually really like Tomorrow Never Dies. 
Well, that's also sort of a mistake, but we'll, 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 we'll <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you have to know, like all of the nineties, James Bond movies were awful. And most of the eighties ones were pretty bad too. It, like James Bond was great in the sixties and seventies. And then yeah, sort of came back, but sort of didn't. Um, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't mind Pierce. I think as much as a lot of people other did. No, no, no. I love Pierce. Pierce was Pierce was given some of the worst scripts you could have given a good actor. Like, yeah, no, I, I would argue Pierce would probably be maybe even third best Bond, but absolutely worst Bond movies. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. All right, what's next on your list? Uh, Heat. Michael Mann, the summer blockbuster. <laughs> Uh, then I'm going to just, I don't even, I'm going, I'm going without even knowing if this is correct or not. I would also assume last of the Mohicans is not a summer release. Probably isn't, but I I don't have it on the list, but it probably isn't. (laughs) All right. Another Michael Mann one for you. Uh, all right. So next on my list, uh, JFK, I thought JFK, I I had thought JFK at the time was a summer movie. I saw that three plus hour monstrosity, at least a couple of times in the theaters. That's one of those movies that I remember watching and being like, oh my God, this is all real. Yeah. And uh, thankfully there was no internet at the time to debunk the entire movie, but most of it's not real. Yeah. Did you, what about Three Musketeers? I did not. I love that movie. It's a good movie. Uh, My Cousin Vinny. Great one. Yep. One of my favorite 90s movies. Uh, Reservoir Dogs. Well, I'll, I'll see your Reservoir Dogs and I'll, I'll, I'll match you with a Pulp Fiction. I got a Pulp Fiction. No, though, to be fair. To be fair. To be fair. Uh, both Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction would never make the category summer blockbuster because they were at the time indie flicks. That's true. That is very true. That's been a fun thing. Like that's been a thing I've, I've noticed looking back, right? Like, so when I built the list, I tried to do it in the sense of what was a blockbuster to me then, not with revisionist history of now understanding what some of those movies have become or what they mean to me now, which we'll talk about later. Uh, I'm trying to think. There's the only other big one. So I've got uh, Fight Club. I would have swore would have been a summer thing. Oh, Fight Club! That was that was like that was a that was before movies like that were mainstream. Like Fight Club was like an R-rated, weird. I mean, it was great, but it wasn't like at the time. It was very uh, gritty. Yeah, you're you're missing the ultimate one. I, I don't know if you're saving this for later or not. Well, I have the yeah. Well, what? Well, go ahead. Which one? Um, a little movie about a little boat that broke in half. Yeah, I hate that movie. I do too, but it came out as the second or third highest grossing movie of all time. That came out in December. So what I found, so again, different lists, so whatever. But the fun fact I had about Jurassic Park, so Titanic is number three all time for highest grossing of all time. That's not adjusted, just in general. Yeah. Um, Jurassic Park is the next one that's not from the 2000s and it's like number 46. <laughs> wow. So it goes something, something, Titanic, lots of movies from post 2000, Jurassic Park, and then it not there's not another one for like another 10 or 15. <laughs> now, I you know, again, I don't mean to counter your interneting, but are you sure you weren't looking at Jurassic World? Cuz Jurassic World was like way up there, despite being, by the way, terrible. And I'll defend that statement forever. No, the original Jurassic Park, it was down like in the 40s. Like it was like number 43, but it was it was like lo- of all time. Oh, I see what you're saying. 
Yeah, okay. so it goes Titanic, and then there's uh, tons of stuff, of which Jurassic World is one of them. And then not until number 43 do you get to a place where you even see a movie from the 90s again. Everything is post-2000 thereafter. Let's move on. I had two more in the theme of, like, I wrote down some indie movies that in 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 current lenses you would not realize were indie releases at the time. But okay. people talk about them so much. And those are uh, Goodwill Hunting. I have that one. Not a summer release and uh, swingers. Yeah, so I knew so I I love swingers so much. I knew it wasn't a summer release, so it's not on my list. But Same that's team. also a great one. Yeah. So can I run through just like a bunch of random ones that don't necessarily need to be on here? But I was somewhat surprised. Absolutely. So white men can't jump. Sandlot. Uh, Hoop dreams. Little giants. The professional. Tommy boy. Uh, Toy story. Happy Gilmore. Space Jam. Fifth Element. A favorite of mine. Uh, Boogie Nights, for some reason, I thought might have actually slid in. Big Lebowski, I'm not overly surprised, but I wasn't 100% sure that one might be on a list now that we I'm remembering our date. Enemy of the State felt like it should have been a summer yes. release based on how they did it, and it wasn't November 20th of 98. Huh. Um, and then the biggest one I thought is The Matrix. The Matrix is March 31st of 99. Came out the same day as 10 Things I Hate About You, a great 90s movie, by the way. March 31st, you're right. Well, I was definitely looking at something else when I put Matrix in this wrong list. So let me, uh, <laughs> let me look. be right back, sir. Not really. Let's do the list. Let's do it. I don't remember who went first last time, but I think you should have the honors. I, I think it was you last time. Perfect. Okay. Uh, where do I want to start with this little little list here? So I had to strike Jurassic Park and I had to strike the Matrix, which was, I think I read it as May 31st or something. I don't know what happened, but uh, I really, really was ready to talk about the Matrix for a little while. So instead, I'll go with what, what I swapped out for the Matrix. And I'm going to say might be my most controversial pick. Ooh. Because it's one of those movies that I haven't seen in a while. I'm not sure how well it holds up. And yet in the 90s, I probably saw it like 30 or 40 times. Oh, wow. It's an action star at the beginning of a major run of his or in the middle of a major run of his career. An aging action star nearing the end of his career. Uh, it's one of those diehard in a blank kind of scenario stories. What you got? Is it Speed. It is not speed. That's a that that's a reasonable reasonable. In fact, I think that description worked for speed. Yeah, it's was well, Die Hard in a bus, and it's Keanu Reeves in the middle, <laughs> and, uh, and, and an aging Dennis Hopper. No, it's yeah. uh, it's it's Die Hard on in a prison with a young Nick Cage and an old Sean Connery. St- the movie is The Rock. No, wait, is The Rock a summer movie? The Rock is June 7th, 1996. Oh, I'm so mad right now. It is so much nostalgia. To me, I think it it was always a a toss-up to make it to the list because to me it represented so much of 90s, almost two over-the-top action movies. You know, nothing about the plot really holds up. (laughs) Like, everything is... The Rock is one of those, like, Everything's a little to the extreme, but not so far to the extreme that it's a fully implausible everything. Uh, most people seem to give Con Air the nod as like the best of this era of movies, 
But I would argue, hands down, The Rock is a far superior film. Okay, first of all, I'm so mad that I don't have The Rock on my list because I absolutely adore this movie. It's so good. Second of all, anyone who defends Con Air as a better film is a bad person. Well, I'm not, you know, knowing that at this stage, Bill Simmons does not yet listen to our podcast, but I know that he would beg to differ. Okay. Just on the fact alone that Nicolas Cage has a minimum of seven different accents in Con Air, that movie is not okay. <laughs> no, I don't like Con Air at all. I think Con Air, I, I'm, we should probably have a whole thing about like suspension of disbelief and what it actually means. Like. Right. Like, I think we uh, the Jurassic Park actually is my favorite example of a suspension of disbelief storytelling, which is that we're going to establish that you can you can have a mosquito in amber and there's enough DNA to make dinosaurs. So that's your suspension of disbelief. But we're not going to accept that a little child on an electrified fence wouldn't be burned to a crisp, would actually just go flying off because why not? Right. Like that to me is suspension of disbelief in a nutshell. Everything about Con Air requires suspension of disbelief against its own premise. Whereas the basic premise of The Rock is these crazy ex-military guys get a hold of this uh, viral, uh, you know, green ball thingies. They probably had COVID in them and uh, (laughs) threatened to, to, you know, take out San Francisco and possibly other places. Once you accept that that is the basic premise and that this thing happens in uh, Alcatraz, after that, actually, most character motivations, most plot points, most things work pretty well, right? Yeah. There's very few of those scenes where an a, where, where a character does something that that character probably wouldn't have done. There's very few moments of um, utter mistaken uh, uh, identity or other kinds of problems. It's a pretty solid story. It's ridiculous, but it's it's true to its own premise. And that's what I love about The Rock. And... Carla is the prom queen. <laughs> uh, that's a, not not for our uh, maturity level quote, but one of the better quotes of all time. Plus, I'll be honest. I think this is Sean. Remember, I did the rundown of Sean Connery's movies last time. Yeah, this is like Sean Connery at the at, at like perfect Sean Connery. He's got the grace of James Bond, the skills of James Bond, the attitude. He's got some great zinger lines and they don't give him too many uh, fully implausible action sequences for, for a man of his age at the time. Yeah, no, this movie, I actually think I, I love your description of the suspension of, of, of disbelief. And I think that realistically, like this movie, I actually think holds up perfectly. Like it, it like once you sort of just accept, like you said, once you accept the premise, like none of it's too, too crazy. He doesn't like, you know, it's like, there's not ridiculous fight scenes with this guy who clearly is old and this other guy who clearly doesn't really know how to fight. Like a lot of it is more tactical. I actually think it's brilliant and I'm really upset that I forgot it. Plus Stanley Goodspeed. It's just fun to say. Plus Michael Bean. And I think his last major or minor role, that guy should have been in everything. I don't know yeah. what happened to his career, but you know, I, I liked the Michael Bean. Um, the cast was great. So good. It's Michael Bay's, I think, finest movie. I would agree. Um, possibly almost a film, but not really. I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, I like The Rock. The Rock is wonderful. It's a great pick, and I'm happy that it's on the list because I can't believe I missed it. That makes me so sad. All right, sir. Let's hear one of yours from your list. 
All right, I'm going to go uh, just, I'm, I'm not going in any particular order this week. I'm just going to go off the top rope. Um, this movie came out on my birthday in 1996. Its domestic gross was $306 million. Uh, when I think about blockbusters in the 90s, this one comes flying to the front of, of my head. The, the worldwide gross was over $800 million. It had a $75 million budget. Oddly enough, it had two Oscar noms. Any guesses? Uh, that's a tough time. 96, you said? Yes, sir. I'm, I've got two guesses. Can I go with two? Can I give you two guesses? Sure. Guess one, and it's a stretch because I don't think this fits the bill, is Independence Day? That's the one. It is. Okay. That was my first guess, mostly because of the timing. Yep. Um, so Independence Day. So Will Smith... Jeff Goldblum, Judd Hirsch, who, by the way, in this film is so funny. Mm-hmm. Like, he's so good in this role. He's hilarious in general. Uh, also, a, a lovely Harvey Feinstein <laughs> in this. Uh, Robert Loggia, who's great. And then Bill Pullman, who is... Uh, some people can't stand him, and I get that. But in this particular role, I think he's brilliant. I absolutely love this. This is such a good summer movie. It's a great summer movie. What about Randy Quaid, sir? So, Randy Quaid, I was going to get to. Oh, okay. <laughs> Because I just don't want to disrespect Mr. Quaid. Well, so there are so many good quotes in this movie, like so many. And Randy Quaid is is at the heart of most of them. (laughs) Um, But he like very famously, I love the line. He says that I picked a hell of a day to quit drinking, which is hysterical. Um, He also in his uh, his approach to spoiler alert, Randy Quaid's a hero. But when he screams, hey, boys, I'm back is such like a that was a long term, like when I was still playing sports locker room thing, when somebody would just come in and go, hello, boys, (laughs) like became a thing. Uh, I also love there's a really cool moment in this. Actually, there's a whole little sequence with Will Smith when he first runs into an alien and like punches him in the face and says, welcome to Earth. And he says, now that's what I call a close encounter. And then like drags the guy and he's like kind of just like complaining the whole way. And then he turns around at one point and screams, what is that smell? And it's that was improvised because he was hot and they were in the salt flats of Utah. And I just think that's a really cool story. I didn't know that. That's cool. There's also a really cool Jurassic Park throwback in this, which is our friend Jeff Goldblum says, must go faster, must go faster in the same cadence, just like he does in Jurassic Park, which is great. And then clearly the most important part of this movie is the speech which I I have the whole thing printed. I'm not going to go through it, but it is one of the better sort of delivered and written like rah-rah, silly, cheesy action movie speeches I think of all time. Now, JT, given that this is still early in our podcasting career and most of our listeners are basically our friends, I would like to hear 20 seconds of that speech by you. Any 20 seconds you'd like, the middle, the beginning, the end, you pick up that script real quick. Uh, I'll give you I'll give you a couple more seconds and, and and stretch this out till you're ready to go. Oh no, I can I can do 20 seconds will be the whole thing because it's not that long. I I think you do that, sir. Let's I'd like it. to hear. Is, so is this you doing Bill Pullman doing the speech or just your speech? Which I one? Think, did- I I think I'm gonna do. I'll try to do the cadence in Pullman, but I don't know that I definitely can't do the voice. That's all right. Let's hear it, buddy. <clears throat> I'm ready. Good morning. In less than an hour. Aircraft from here will join others from around the world, and you will be launching the largest aerial battle in the history of mankind. Mankind. That word should have new meaning for all of us today. We can't be consumed by our petty differences anymore. 
We will be united in our common interests. Perhaps it's fate that today is the 4th of July and you will once again be fighting for our freedom, not from tyranny, oppression, or persecution, but from annihilation. How is that? Pretty good. I'll take a slow clap. But the end, it's the last couple lines. I realized it was going to take longer, but the last couple lines, right, which is the, we will not go quietly into the night. We will not vanish without a fight. We're going to live on. We're going to survive. Today, we celebrate our Independence Day. Bill Pullman for president, everybody. It's a great, can't it's a great take speech. away our freedom. It's basically oh, the same speech. Same it's basically speech. the same speech. Pretty much. Uh, one thing that is cool about that speech that I didn't know. So it was filmed in front of an old airplane ha hangar that actually used to house the Enola Gray. Do you know what the Enola Gray is? Gay. Enola Gay. No R. Sorry. Really? Yep. Oh, so then you do know what it is. And I don't. Mm. Well, what is it? How was that high school history for you, buddy? Well, listen, if in high school, in this particular time, I was I'll, I'll, I was resembling some other folks that I'll talk about later. She uh, she dropped the big one. Yeah. Interestingly enough, it was filmed on the same day, 50 years earlier in the exact same location. Hmm. So where the Enola Gay sat is where they filmed that. And it was 50 years to the day. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. I got I got I got to say, and I'm not I, you know, I don't want to take anything away. I never loved this movie. Um, it lost me a little bit. There was a moment early in it that was my first, I remember this actually in the theaters, the, you know, this movie was supposed to be epic. Like this was the, like you've seen summer blockbusters, not before this kind of right. thing. And there's a scene where they're first blowing everything up. And I can't remember which of the actresses, maybe Vivica Davis with a dog, they jump into the stairwell yeah. and the door swings open and fire goes by. And all I remember, you know, 20 something me watching this being like, so you're telling me the fire doesn't like go through doors that are open. Like right. the whole point of that door is it keeps you safe when it's closed. And speaking of my previous comment on suspension of disbelief, that violated a fundamental suspension of disbelief thing. Like I was accepting aliens. In fact, I would even accept that a Mac born virus could infect an alien supercomputer somehow more than I can accept. Fire doesn't go through open doorway. Listen, I have absolutely no arguments, but what I can tell you is that 11 year old JT watching this on his birthday in theaters thought this movie was the best. I'll bet. I, that's why I don't want to take away a moment of, uh, of, of, of that from you. That's a good right. choice. So I'm trying to think if I can tie in together. Mm, no. Where I will go next. I will go to next to my, my other swap in for the last moment. Uh, and that was Apollo 13. Apollo 13, second Ed Harris movie for the list. Clocks in 195th with 172 million adjusted. I love this movie so much. It's not your typical blockbuster because it's kind of slowish paced. It, by the way, does in fact hold up. I watched it last year with uh, with Sam, and he enjoyed it quite a bit. It's it's got a very it's a very very well told story with really good combinations of drama and action and, and sequences, um, and I love. I love that it's based on real events, but yet told in a way that made it so much like it seemed like a fictional story. I have a similar reaction to this that you had to my pick, which is like, it's fine. 
Okay. This movie was fine. I'll give you, uh, so I'll, I'll limit my conversation to one cool bit of trivia about Apollo 13, which is there are other things that went wrong along the way that they did not put in the script because they were worried that by adding them true stories that they would make this movie seem too unbelievable. So they actually have toned down the nightmarish sequence of events that occurred on the Apollo 13 uh, mission to make a movie seem plausible. See, I didn't know that. I wish I had because it would have. I wish they kept them in. I, maybe I would have liked it more. Give it a rewatch. Give it. Give it. Give it a chance at this age. Maybe it never grabs you. I don't know. It's. I think it's such a well done movie. And knowing that all of those things happen pretty much, pretty darn close to as is. Like, it's a good movie. Yeah. Okay. I, I will watch it again. For me, this one was always a pacing problem. Yeah, I could see that. I, I always liked the movie. I think it was well acted. I, the story itself is amazing. Like, genuinely amazing. Uh, could have done without the, the song from Aerosmith, but that's a different story. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Are you confusing the song from Armageddon? I am. Yes. Yeah. Which, by the way, was very, very close to making my list. Very close. <laughs> um but the uh, the thing the Apollo thirteen really was a it's been a special movie for me. I've enjoyed it ever since. I've I've watched it several times. And the scene where they have to put together, I so you remember the movie at all or just sorta? Yeah, I mean I've seen it enough to remember. Okay. So there's a scene where this where where one of the one of the NASA guys walks into this room full of basically engine like brilliant NASA engineers, dumps a bunch of stuff on the table and says. You got to figure out how to get from this thing and from this adapter into this filter or whatever it was. It was an air filter. And, and then them actually doing that. And, and that whole sequence for me is the ultimate in, I mean, I reference it in every startup I've ever worked at. It's like, listen, this is all we got. And yeah. we got to make this, this thing's got to happen. So I don't right. care if you need whatever you need, you got, but it's on this table and that's that deal with it. Um, I love the lesson of resourcefulness and perseverance. All right, sir. What do you got? Um, let's see. Where do I want to go next? Uh, I think I'm going to go with something you mentioned earlier. Came out in 1994. Huge domestic gross. Cartoon. Oh, Lion King. The Lion King. Yeah, so Lion King is very much sort of like a little bit of a sen- like sentimental pick just because like I remember it being like a big thing. I remember seeing it multiple times in theaters. Um, you know, I was nine. Like it was like a right in my wheelhouse of like this is a movie for you. Um, I also remember like, you know, Jonathan Taylor Thomas was the bane of my existence for a bit because of the kid named <laughs> JT and had a similar haircut but didn't look anything else like him. That was a problem. Uh, but the thing that I love about this movie is that it's – actually a really 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 good movie forget that it's disney forget it's a cartoon like it's brilliant truth uh what i love about it is a lot of people talk about it like being inspired by hamlet it's actually it's an assyrian egyptian tale of um basically it's the exact same story like it was ripped directly from there uh which is kind of neat it's just that's like a neat thing the, the way the, the original had a warthog <laughs> it did yeah who sang and also elton john huh <clears throat> yeah so uh, Osiris is killed by his brother, Seth, who's the rightful heir. Horus is the rightful heir. Horus is sent to exile, uh, is visited by the ghost of his father, comes back, and then reclaims the throne. Like, it's literally the exact same thing. 
Uh, but the Lions just, eat the warthog in your version because they probably would have in the real version. They for sure would have. But you absolutely cannot eat Whoopi Goldberg and Cheech Marin or or the warthog. Any of the any of the hyenas. There's no way you'd just be friends with them. Whoopi Goldberg. We're we're gonna have some issues if you're gonna keep doing this in the, in your own decade, sir. Whoopi Goldberg, I believe, was a hyena. It was, she was Nathan, a hyena. Nathan Lane and Ernie Sabella. Huge Broadway star. Huge. Nothing? Nobody. No. Nobody. This guy, whatever. Some dude. Listen, I know, listen, a beautiful performance by Jeremy Irons. I know Rowan Atkinson's voice from anywhere. James Earl Jones. That's what I can tell you about this film. I don't know anybody. All these other people I didn't know. Okay. Obviously, I know Nathan Lane. And Matthew Broderick, who wound up playing someone when he was older. And that's fun. <laughs> uh, so the only things that I didn't know about this, which was kind of cool, is it took three years to fully animate the wildebeest scene, which was crazy. That not a single lion roar was real. It was just like a single dude in a microphone because they wanted to make sure all the individual lions had like very specific sounds, which I thought mm. was interesting. That's cool. And the thing I definitely didn't know that, that about this is that this was the B team for Disney. So this was like their backup design team that was working on this because everybody was working on Pocahontas, which they thought was going to be huge. Pocahontas was supposed to be the one. Yeah. Yeah. And then I, I pulled one little thing for you, which uh, because I know you love people who score. So Hans Zimmer originally turned this down because he didn't want to be involved in a children's movie or a Disney movie of, of this sort of vein. And then as it started to come together, he decided to do it and has since been quoted as saying it's one of the greatest experiences of his career. I did not know the latter part of that. I um, know that Hans, I knew a bit of the early part. Uh, Hans Zimmer had done the, done the score for a movie called The Power of One. Uh, and the score for that, by the way, is absolutely breathtaking. Possibly his best work. Uh, also, he did The Rock, by the way. So there yes, we go. yes, he did. That's right. <laughs> got that tying together nicely. My, my, uh, so I saw, again, Lion King in the theaters. So when you were doing the not summer bit, I have two more that were actually on my list. I was waiting for one of us to bring up Lion King because I'm pretty sure Lion King was coming up. Yeah, uh, Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin were neither of which were uh, were summer movies. Yeah, I, I have Aladdin listed. For some reason, I forgot about Beauty and the Beast. So I saw Beauty and the Beast in the theaters. So Beauty and the Beast. Now, Little Mermaid technically gets the credit for the beginning of the real Disney Renaissance in the '90s. Um, but Beauty and the Beast was kind of the bring home the bacon one. Uh, and then Lion King and Aladdin were the real like money, money, you know, the cash cows, if you will. But Beauty and the Beast set a whole bunch of cool precedents for Disney that I think culminated with Lion King, which then resulted in a total denouement. Like the last latter half of the 90s, they did not much like Pocahontas, then Hunchback, then Tarzan. Like these are weak movies, relatively speaking. Yeah, and as you were saying, nobody thought Lion King was a winner, and yeah. sure enough, they liked it so much they made it twice. Yeah, yeah, and it's uh, it's so good. The Lion King is so good. By the way, while I'm on that, I if anyone from Disney ever listens to this, here's another thought: take some of your Pixar movies and then put those into hand drawn animation. The same way we're taking old hand drawn animation and making them CGI. Go make Toy Story with a bunch of hand drawn animators, like. Make a Kubo and the Two Strings version of Toy Story or something like that. How crazy cool would Gosh, that be? That'd be amazing. All right. All right. What's your next one? Well, since we're in a, a little bit of a of a of a silly place, and if we're going to Disney, I'll I'll go with my silliest movie from the list, and uh, 
comes in 92nd on the all-time list at 511 million adjusted for all time has had uh, two sequels and a semi reboot. Although I think it's technically a third sequel and I'm going to give it to you this way. These, these people were all in this movie. Okay. Ready? Okay. Al Roker, Isaac Mizrahi, Danny DeVito, <laughs> Sylvester Stallone, Diane Warwick, Newt Gingrich, Anthony Robbins, George Lucas, and even executive producer Steven Spielberg. It's Men in Black. It is Men in Black. <laughs> uh, yeah, man. Will Smith, I just dive on Will Smith. Also came out, this came out the day before my birthday. I remember seeing this one too. <laughs> Did it really? Yeah. <laughs> I guess that summer birthday means a lot of summer, summer movie fun. Sure does. That's nice. Uh, I'm not going to go deep on the trivia here because I think, again, it's one of those movies that's well talked about. I think this this for me was just one of those crazy, fun, goofy, oh my gosh, what is this movie? Yeah. Um, my two two interesting things. One is uh, Ray-Ban really owes its resurgence to Men in Black. Like They had a big run off Top Gun in the 80s, and then Men in Black tripled their annual sales in the early 90s. Sheesh. Yeah. Uh, the other interesting one, and I really wish they would do this. So you know they did this Men in Black reboot this year or last year, the International, I think it was called? Yep. What was supposed to happen and is still somewhere out there. You know how they also made those 21 Jump Street movies? Yeah. They were supposed to make a, a movie that crossed over those two universes. Oh, that would be brilliant. How much more do you want to see Jonah Hill and... Um, and uh, was that Buffy Channing dude? Tatum? That guy, Channing Tatum, with with Tommy Lee Jones and Will Smith in in like some crazy four way buddy comedy. I yeah, mean, desperately, infinitely. Like I would, I would do a, I would do a GoFundMe of that right this second. <laughs> Take my money. I'll buy. I'll buy. I'll buy the digital release. Anyhow, uh, Men in Black, a lot of money, great movie, unfortunate franchise uh, overall, but what a what a film. Yeah, I think they're still fun. So this is actually on my list. First of all, this is like the first one is the most Vincent D'Onofrio, like that's the perfect role for him. He's like one of the best overactors of a generation. Like everything he does is so overacted. Like he makes me, la- I, I don't watch any of the like criminal, whatever that he's in. He's in one of the SVU Law and Order things. And like he is such a like horrendous overactor. Like it's so <laughs> funny to me. Like it looks like a Saturday Night Live skit, right. but he was perfect in this role, the whole sugar water thing. Uh, which was I just thought was very funny. Uh, two things. One, uh, one of my favorite quotes of all time came from this film. No joke. Like, of all time. Give any guess. No. So they're sitting. It's before Jay joins, and him and Kay are sitting in the park. And Kay looks at him and says, a person is smart. People are dumb, panicky, dangerous animals, and you know it. And I think about that quote all the time. <laughs> I don't see why you would. I couldn't see any parallels why you might even think. Oh my gosh. Yeah, for sure. Uh, The other thing is that, and this is like, I don't know how true this is, but I think it's true. There's a, there's an internet thread that pulls pretty strong that says the success of this movie is directly in relation to Marvel stepping their game up because of how well this did. So like a lot of what happened with Marvel shortly thereafter is very much like in thanks to the success of the men in black series. So that's cool. Like, I think that's really cool. We kind of owe that to, to this movie, which is, which is neat. Then again, we also owe all of the misfire Marvel movies to this too. the fantastic fours, 
Spider-Man yeah. 3, Amazing Spider-Man 2. <laughs> you know. We'll do we'll, we'll do Marvel some other time. Well, yeah. X some of the X-Men's. But yeah, that that is true. Marvel this was the ooh, these comic book things could be real big. Yeah. That was yeah. really good. The other like quote that I actually just thought of, which I know happened to be it was ad-libbed is when uh Will Smith falls onto the um onto the bus. And he says it'd just be raining black people in New York. That was that, that was <laughs> a that was ad-lib. That's an, I saw that. That's yeah. an ad lib line. <laughs> All right, what is next? Or or was this one of your actual top fives? This wasn't my top five, but like I said, I have nine, so I can pick a different one. Oh my! All right, next for you, sir. Okay, so I'm going to go in a different direction, um, and this is I'm going to pick one, but it's it's I'm sort of like nodding to another one because I really struggled. Go ahead. I just want to say I have two left in my list. Even if you pick either of these two, I am not going to another option. These are my two fixed positions. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to pick either. The, the two that the, the stuff that I have left isn't going to be on your list. All good. I just wanted to disclaim that for you and our audience, should such an event occur. Perfectly fair. All right. So this one, I'm not even going to let you guess because it's too, it's it's sort of too random, and it's definitely a little bit of a sentimental thing. And I definitely want to guess it. Okay, we'll try. Okay, so June 14th, 1998, its domestic gross was about $25 million. <laughs> so it's a true blockbuster. Oh, it just crushed, absolutely crushed. Okay. Uh, I'll give you a couple of people in the cast. Brecken Meyer. Scream. No, but good guess. Very good guess. Jerry O'Connell. Donald Faison. Sean Patrick Thomas. Nothing. It's not Friday Night Lights, is it? No, it's not, but that's sort sort of fair. Sort of a fair guess. All right. You got me. It's Can't Hardly Wait. Huh. So here's here's the deal. <laughs> I'm very excited to hear the rest of this. Go on. So it was this was a pick this or that moment for me because of me growing up like this being right in my wheelhouse, right? Fair. It was either Can't Hardly Wait or Clueless. Because those two movies culturally shaped a lot of what I dealt with as a like growing person. I can I can completely under like totally get it. So that being said, I decided, oddly enough, no Oscar nominations for Can't Hardly Wait, which is a real bummer. But what really like this was Jennifer Love Hewitt and Ethan Embry were the two main characters. Also, very fun little baby Jason Siegel has like a two-second part in this movie, and it's the first time he was ever on film, and it makes me laugh. Little eight pound six ounces, baby Jason. Baby Jason little swaddled, swaddled in clothes, pretending to be a stoner, talk, eating watermelon. The reason I picked this one is because this is kind of my generation's Ferris Bueller, and it was either this or Clueless, and Clueless just didn't resonate with me. Clueless was West Coast, SoCal, LA scene, money, Visco girl, Valley girl at the time. Now they're called Visco girls. And it's like, that's not how I grew up. Right. Like instead, this was like a house party in Pennsylvania with like a bunch of weird kids, some of whom were trying to like lean too hard into the urban thing, some jocks and like a small town. This just felt more like my kind of movie as a kid. And I just remember like really, really like connecting with the characters in this. And it felt like a high school movie like this, I assume, is what a lot of what John Hughes films felt like to kids in the 80s sure. because this just felt like my life. So for me, even though it's not a great movie, it holds up very well in the sense that it's hilariously stupid and it's fine. There's no plot holes because there is no plot. Um, <laughs> but like it does have like, there is like, you know, Ethan Embry was in Empire Records, which is a favorite of mine. 
both Lauren Ambrose and Peter Fascinelli, who both ended up being on Six Feet Under together. Sean Patrick Thomas, who was in Save the Last Dance, which is a great 90s flick. Donald Faison, obviously very famous. He was in this movie and also wound up in Clueless. Uh, Jamie Baby, Jamie Presley was in this. Selma Blair, Jerry O'Connell, like I said, Jason Segel. The coolest thing about this movie is Charlie Cosmo plays like this nerd character who's very relatable to people who like you either totally get him or you know someone that is him. Uh, he had not been in a movie since, bringing it back to the beginning of the podcast, he was Robin Williams' son in Hook. He was Jack. Interesting. And basically, since that movie, he's done nothing else. So he did Jack in Hook. He did uh, Willie, I think was his name, in Can't Hardly Wait. And that's it. <laughs> ready, ready for my reaction here? Please. Never saw it. I know. I knew that. I have seen Clueless a few times. And, sure. Uh, the amazing feat fact of Paul Rudd not aging is, is still blows my mind. I have it written down, but I want to shout out how clueless is and good for baby Paul Rudd, who looks in all caps, the exact same. Exact same. Yeah, no, I never saw can hardly wait. Although, which is surprising because it's one of those I should have just seen at some point, but never did. And then sort of reached that point where that's not the kind of movie you're going to watch anymore. You know? Yeah, I had a feeling this one might be. I haven't. I, I had two where I was like, these are probably were too young for Jeremy to be bothered yeah. with when they came out. Like, because this is definitely a high school movie. This is a nineties. This is a nineties kid movie. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough, though. All right, what's your next one? All right, I'll save my biggest for last. I'm going to go with one that isn't actually the. I actually did fairly well financially, um, but it's just in the personal absolute favorite. What a near perfect movie from start to finish okay um i i'm sorry i didn't write down the year for this one it's made 416 million adjusted 147th of all time and i'll, I'll give you the trivia on in a different way it featured a great sequence filmed during an actual parade and another great sequence filming filmed during an actual uh train derailment are those two plot elements sufficient for a guess? No, I'm. You really lost me when you said that it made like four hundred million dollars. Like I'm completely lost right now. The movie is The Fugitive. Oh, oh, okay, that makes sense. Great movie. Great. Movie. I love The Fugitive. Yeah, it's a good movie. The crazy. So, so the, my first two, the cool trivia things were. The parade scene was an actual parade. They got a license from the mayor to go out with handy cams and film whatever they could make happen. As long nice. as they did not uh, create a, 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 I don't remember the phrasing, but a significant disruption to the parade itself. But they, they, what they did that wasn't staged, that was all legit. Um, and not only that, they couldn't redo a sequence. If they wanted to re recut a scene, they just had to do it somewhere else during the parade. Although, actually, having learned that, I should go rewatch it and see how the continuity holds up because I'm curious. Yeah. The more interesting one, and at the time was a huge deal, was the actual train crash. So the scene early in the movie where where they ca crash and roll over and then uh, Kimball runs away and all that, uh, they derailed a train for this one. And in the time, it was big news. Like There was the, 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 the release of the how they filmed that scene in The Fugitive the fact that they had like 20 cameras going from every different angle they could make work. They could not do it a second time. That was it. They had one shot at it. And again, I think as, as becoming a recurring theme in, in some of our lists, 
the these movies that sort of transcend to this level are because they took it to such a degree. Yeah. Now, what's I found most interesting and in when I wanted to find some cool stuff, the director, a man named Andrew Davis. So he filmed this movie. It it, it came in a natural progression. He had been doing I, again, I don't know where, where this fits for you age-wise. Did you recall the early Steven Seagal films? Were those like childhood films for you? Above the Law, Mark to Kill, Hard to Kill, Mark to Kill, whatever those things were? Not really. Okay. So Steven Seagal was this sort of up-and-coming, new-generation action star, um, but had a little too much Gary Busey in him, so the, he, he went into the crazy zone, <laughs> crazy zone. He did this movie Under Siege. Have you seen Under Siege? Under Siege I've seen. So Andrew Davis directed Under Siege with, of course, Tommy Lee Jones. Yep. And based on that work, Harrison Ford uh, uh, approved him as the director for the movie, for The Fugitive. What's crazier about it is he did nothing good afterwards. I went looking to what happened to this guy because I will argue that The Fugitive has exactly one broken mo- moment in the entire movie. Yeah, a, a couple of little ones. But uh, it's something that a buddy of mine and I actually use to define a whole category of problems in movies, and it's called the Vatinky moment. Now, again, I, I don't want to go too weird, nerdy detail in the movie, but there's a scene, I don't know, about midway through the film where they're in a, 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 a tall building. Tommy Lee Jones is at the elevator bank waiting to go down. Uh, Harrison Ford, meanwhile, is running up the stairs to go in. Oh, it's a prison, I think. And... One of, the, one of the minor characters says a comment to Tommy Lee Jones. Tommy Lee Jones looks at him with disgust, like, why are you saying such a thing? And then says, I don't even remember the, oh, man, I forgot the whole quote. But anyhow, ends up saying, that's hinky. I'm not staying with you. I'm going down. I'm taking the stairs. And then that leads to a plot point, etc. I have issues with this because it was so unrealistic a moment. Again, right. in the continuity, in the suspension of disbelief. And what bugs me about it is, had they simply made the scene where the elevator was full or under repair or whatever was happening, you could have done the whole movie truly in perfection. And instead, it's led us to a, uh, a whole topic around hinky moments in otherwise perfect movies. That's great. So, Fugitive, love it. Love The Fugitive. It's a good movie. I totally, for some reason, just totally blanked on that being a 90s thing in summer, but like it definitely is. I'm kind of surprised I didn't have that because I don't even have that on my, it should have been in the list, but it didn't make my list list. So I just missed that one entirely. It's all good, buddy. Um, Okay. So my next one, I'm going to go on a completely different path. Um, And this is, this is what I would say is my most controversial pick. Mm. Um, So I bet you saw this and it's, it's one that I'm going to say in advance. There's a movie that are along the same lines that people would say that that should be on the list instead of this one, but that's okay. So this movie came out on July 14th of 96. It only grossed $59 million domestically. It did just over 100 worldwide. It had a huge budget. It had a $46 million budget. It's a war movie, kind of, with one of the best actors of our generation. Any guesses? It's a war movie, kind of, is a weird, weird statement. I'm trying to drive you away from the one that I think you would guess. Well, the biggest war movie of the 90s would be Saving Private Ryan. So I- and it's... It's not that. Right. Uh, Thin Red Line, was that? Also a great movie, but no, it's not that. So this okay. one's smaller. Maybe you haven't seen it. Have you ever seen Courage Under Fire? Oh, is Meg Ryan in that? Meg Ryan and Denzel, and, and Denzel Washington. Never saw it. Really? 
Yeah, it's one of those movies I remember coming out. I remember like, oh, Meg Ryan, I like her, and then just never saw it, and that was and that was that. So I'll sort of fly through this because like Saving Private Ryan, for all intent and purposes, is a better film. Like it just okay. is. I mean, it's a it's a great film. It's brilliant, but it had Spielberg. It had two acts of the budget. And, and also, there's a really cool through line to get to why I picked this over that. So first of all, it's a brilliant, brilliant movie. It's really, really well done. It's incredibly well acted. There's not a ton of plot problems. There's two or three small hinky moments, to steal your language. Hey. But nothing, like, horrible. Denzel is a monster in this movie. He's so good in this. Like, it, it leads him to... There's, there's very much pieces of another character he later plays that I'm not going to say because that movie, that movie will end up on a list for me for sure. Um, the reason that this is cool and the reason I picked this one specifically is Matt Damon, this is the first time he was really on, like not the first time he was on film, but like this led to a bunch of things for him. Like Saving Private Ryan? I'm going to get there. So he, <laughs> lost to like, he lost like 40 pounds. He was emaciated. Like he, he made... Tom Hanks in Philadelphia look fat. That's how skinny he got in this. So much so that he wound up with like medical supervision for months after. Oh, really? Here's the cool Matt Damon storyline. So Damon does this movie. It's incredibly well received. The movie is good, but not huge fanfare. Came out against a bunch of other stuff. Didn't do that well. Did fine. Uh, Francis Ford Coppola was so impressed with him in this movie that he offered him the role for the Rainmaker straight away. It was his if he wanted it. So he gets Rainmaker because of this. This comes out before Goodwill Hunting. As he's on the set for Goodwill Hunting, Spielberg visits him because of his relationship with Francis Ford Coppola because he hears he's doing the Rainmaker. Spielberg says, You know, I really wanted to, to bring you on for a film that I'm doing, but you were too thin. But now seeing you in your actual weight again, I think you'd be great. Do you want to be in a movie called Saving Private Ryan? Wow. So, in a really weird way, it made Saving Private Ryan what it was and right. shaped it. And I also just think this is one of those movies people should go watch because it's it's real it's dark it's a, the, the the main difference is it's not a war movie this is a suspense thriller that happens to deal with the subject of war I think that's why I didn't see it at the time I think I remember it seeming more like psycho psychological thriller more hundred percent like big explosion y stuff and that's exactly what it is it's not a war movie this is a psychological thriller with the subtext of war versus Saving Private Ryan which is a war movie that really beautifully tells another story. Right. Although, by the way, I would argue, hands with, without even blinking twice, that of of the most replaceable characters in Saving Private Ryan, Matt Damon's role could have been played by many. Like you couldn't have put Tom, you couldn't take out Tom Hanks, but you could have swapped out uh, 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 Damon. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally well, agree. I like very much. By the way. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a Damon fan, but like it's just it. It was interesting because I was going to do Saving Private Ryan, but it felt too obvious. And then I remembered that how much more I, I just love this movie. And I was like, oh, yeah. And then I started to go down this like rabbit hole. And I was like, oh, wow. There's like a lot of through lines that kind of tie to me getting to bring up Saving Private Ryan, which clearly could very easily be on this list, but instead promoting a different movie. So it worked out for my purposes. <laughs> and funny enough, I used to use Saving Private Ryan as my like show-off movie for my really cool home AV setup because I was always a home AV guy and so saving private ryan was was well known for a very good sound mix so that was my uh that intro sequence the them storming oh, the yeah. Normandy, so good friend many a best buy demo when i was back in home theater at best buy in my high school and college days was was from that film <laughs> now if i if my math is right and it rarely is we have one left to go each 
I believe so. Yes. Uh, I gotta think mine's mine might be extremely predictable. I'm not sure. It uh, it was I think the third or fourth highest grossing from the '90s. It's uh, 119th place with over 456 million adjusted. Um, although I guess interestingly behind Men in Black. Um, let's see. What was so amazing about this movie is that they managed to create previews for it that did not spoil one of the most important semi-twist-ish plot points of this entire movie. And it's not a twist movie. It's not, um, I'll just say it's not Sixth Sense or something like that, although that was certainly in consideration as a summer blockbuster. Sure. Um, But it had a massive, massive twist that, again, based on our ages, you might not even realize was considered a twist at the time. I think it's 90 or 91. Again, I I didn't write that detail down. Oh, wow. It's a sequel. It's a sequel. Oh, Terminator 2. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Great, great pick. So when Terminator 2 was coming out, and I remember I, I remember everything about this, by the way. Uh, again, like seeing the theaters, the, the buildup to it. The previews were done in a way where you weren't sure who was good and who was bad. You mm-hmm. had a pretty big hunch because it was hard to not give some of it away. But they still left enough mystery to it that... You know, I kind of went in and I was like, I think I know how this is going to roll out. And I was right. But but you didn't really know till it happened. And that was what was so beautiful about it is that you could just, you you knew kind of what the movie was going to be about. You got the concept. It's coming back and going after, uh, going after the kid and everything, Eddie Furlong. But you didn't know exactly how the Terminators would play out. Such a good movie. Again, uh, probably the same thing as Jurassic Park where the tech at the time was just good enough to do what they did without stretching too far and yeah. made a really just amazing sequence. The motorcycle chase scene through the Arroyos of, of Los Angeles, one, I mean, still one of the best chase sequences I've ever seen. Yeah, this one. So first of all, Terminator 2 is a classic movie. I absolutely love this movie. It was if it was four years later, it would have been in my top five without a doubt. Sure. But like, this is a movie I had to revisit as an adult to understand how much I liked it. So like probably like 1997 JT saw this and went, this is really cool. Right. But like 1991 JT wasn't old enough to see this movie. So right. makes sense. Makes yeah. sense. It's a, it's a great flick though. I mean, there's, I have very little, like when I think about also came out on my birthday, but when I think about like, <laughs> Like when I think about like summer movies, this one is like everything about it is big and like theatrical and huge. And like, you want to see it on the big screen. It's everything. It's all those things. I love it. I went to it. I think it was my senior year in high school. Went to with a, with, with my friend who was just graduating, moving on to college. Such a good time. Uh, two fun pieces of trivia for you. First one. Did you know that Linda Hamilton has a twin? No. Linda Hamilton has a twin sister, which explains every scene where you see two Linda Hamiltons. That is brilliant, and I didn't know that, and that makes a lot of sense. That's that wasn't special effects; that was just a whole other person. The other crazy trivia is: Did you know that the guy who played the Terminator went on to become the governor of California? No, crazy, not possible. Yeah, yeah, Australian-born bodybuilder, and then uh, you know did this thing, and then then went politics. Crazy. Now he has an alpaca. I was going to say, if he's doing that, you might as well tell me he feeds goats from his dining room table. Oh, he does. He does. That's that's what happened. Yeah. Yeah. Turns out to be actually, despite having an accent and all these things that made you think maybe this guy isn't so bright, turns out to be a pretty savvy dude. 
kind of wouldn't pretty, mind seeing him back in politics, but pretty, you know. pretty savvy cat. Yeah. Terminator. What you, what you think? All right. Let's hear your last one. Uh, I want to see if I can guess it with no data. Okay. I, I want to go. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. I'm looking at my list of others. Just give me a genre like action, drama, comedy. Just give me one word. Uh, can I, can I do dramedy? I'll give you dramedy. Dramedy is not really a thing. Dramedies are dramas with some funny moments. That's what it is. That's the thing. Every every time I see dramedy, I know like, oh, actually I'm seeing some serious action movie or serious dra- dramatic performance, but there's going to be a couple of lighthearted moments in it. Uh, would it be Forrest Gump? No, it's not. But a good okay. guess. All right. I have that on the list. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to break the rules and I'm going to pull a Jeremy and do what I want. Do what you want. So I'm going to give you two. Yeah. And one of them. So this is the only time that I'm doing this. One of them is going to be when I was growing up, this would have been the movie. And then I'm going to do one. My only one that will be truly revisionist. So the one this one you've never heard of, I'm not going to make you guess it. I'm not even going to talk about it much, but I need to say it out loud. Uh, It came out in 1994. It's called Camp Nowhere. I've seen Camp Nowhere. Christopher Lloyd, right? Yes. Christopher Lloyd? Yeah. Christopher Lloyd. That movie, basically, it's like every other movie you've ever seen where the kids con their parents, make a summer camp. It's like they made them acceptance with Justin Long, Jonah Hill is the same thing, except Louis Black is their adult. Like this movie's been made a million times. Yeah. But at a moment in time with little baby Jonathan Jackson and Andrew Keegan and also literally baby Jessica Alba, she was like four years old. Um, this movie is just hilarious, and it felt like it's a nostalgic pick. I loved it as a kid. It felt like camp, and I, it still makes me laugh. I have watched it since, and it still makes me laugh. I love that you picked a movie like that. You have to understand, in this era, in the 94 to 96, I was working in a video store, so I saw like all those movies, all the movies, everything. Because you had those, you had me walking in and renting Camp Nowhere for the sixth time because I just wanted, I just understood Mud's problems so bad. Right, sir. Can we can we suggest another Christopher Lloyd movie? No. No. All right. I'm gonna watch this one again. All right. What's the nostalgic pick? So the non-nostalgic pick is one that we've talked about on this podcast before, and I'm kind of surprised. Not overly surprised it wasn't because it doesn't scream summer, but it was a summer movie and it has summer summer e elements. Only a six million dollar budget came out on August 16th of '96. This is your dramedy. Yes. '96. It's a loose term, dramedy, but yeah. All right. This might be a stretch because I get I don't track the years. Could it have been Truman Show? No, but I have that on my okay. – could have been on the list. No, Usual Suspects. Oh, my God. It's one of my favorite. It's top 10 all time in my list. So Usual Suspects, it came out – I was 11. There was no way for me to understand how good this movie was. No, no. But because it came out – it came out on August 16th. Because it came out – in summer, I can't not put it in the list. So that's why I'm going to have a 5A and a 5B. That's 5A fair. is little baby JT loved Camp Nowhere. 5B is looking back on the 90s, I can't not have usual suspects on the list. <laughs> All right. So let's do a quick thing because this is the, one of those few movies. In case you have not seen usual suspects, literally stop listening in about three seconds because after that, we're going to talk about the plot and anything about the plot is a spoiler. Anything yeah. about the plot is a spoiler. Yep. So three, two, one. We're now going to spoil the usual suspects. Go on, JD. <laughs> well, no, I, honestly, like we because we've talked about it before on the podcast because it's one of the most rewatchable films of all time for sure. I don't have like there's not even like a real reason. Like it's just the usual suspects. It's an amazing movie. 
the way it's filmed, the way it's acted, the pacing in that movie is so brilliant. The, the use of sound, the use of music, like the fact that you clear, like genuinely, genuinely disorienting without like a memento David Fincher weirdo thing. Like it's just like intentionally disorienting. It's so good. I just love everything about that movie. I love the usual suspects. I'm not kidding. It makes a, it has a permanent spot in my top 10 movies of all time list, which I never actually truly fill. It's one of those rotating slots kind of thing. I think the thing about about this movie, and, and again, spoiler time, is the fact that when you rewatch it and understand that nothing you are seeing necessarily happened, but necessarily didn't either. Right. It's so good. You're right. It, it pulls off a Finchner without having to be a Finchner. It's like... There's a difference between like deliberately disorienting and like just like casually being disoriented the whole time. And the thing with this is like, you want to talk about like suspending disbelief, like the entire film is or isn't occurring. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like this really interesting and beautifully woven fabric that you go on. And in the end that like, there's so few moments, this is a really poor example, but it's basically like if the end of inception where he spins the thing is the whole movie, that's what the usual suspects is. Absolutely. It's agree. just 90 plus minute runtime of, is this happening? <laughs> I, I'll keep going. By the way, we're going to have to keep this conversation short. Cause I think I could go an hour. I could talk about the usual suspects for a good hour. Easily. I would argue. One of the things I've always thought about this movie is that it's cast is sort of like the money ball of casts. Like, there's nobody here that's an A-plus star. In fact, there's not even a true A-lister because even in his true prime, Kevin Spacey was never quite that, um, that top, uh, top-tier uh, draw. Um, and we won't get into his uh, issues at all. But Scandal noted. Yeah, but just as a straight-up, like, who was he as an actor, etc. He never really reached that A-tier. And, and nor did anyone else, right? Um, Gabriel Byrne, love him. You know, had some other good roles. Kevin Pollack, I used to see his stand-up comedy. Benicio Del Toro is a perfect second or third cast member. Uh, yep. Pete Postlewaite, I don't know if I pronounced his name right. Chaz Palmonteri, um, uh, I don't even... Uh, and, of course, one of the Baldwins, right? Like Stephen Baldwin. Yeah, just the non-Alec Baldwin. Yeah. <laughs> it's... <laughs> Like, it just says in the credits, not Alec Baldwin. <laughs> a Baldwin that's not Alec. Um, Other Baldwin. Oh, I love this movie. And you know that this was uh, written by Christopher, Chris, bleh, Chris McQuarrie, yep. who, if you don't know much about what's happened to him, is he's basically become uh, Tom Cruise's writer. So uh, I was listening. Oh, I was actually listening to The Ringer. Somewhere in the 2000s, him and Tom Cruise got together. Uh, they did Valkyrie and then started doing other movies. But basically, the same way Tom Cruise did a whole bunch of movies in the 80s and early 90s with uh, with, with a variety of crew, uh, he's written the past four Mission Impossible movies. He wrote Edge of Tomorrow. He wrote Jack Reacher. He, like, I love this guy. Makes yeah. great movies. Uh, and I think virtually the entire rest of the key crew, like... The cinematographer, I think, went on to do many, many phenomenal things. This is, yeah, I, it's in a special list of movies to be. Yeah, this really one, got best original screenplay for this. He actually won the Oscar for that. And Spacey did win the Oscar for this. And I would argue that Spacey, after American Beauty or because of American Beauty, started to approach that level. 
but never got he I agree he never went beyond it. Yeah, this right. this movie for me, Usual Suspects is in that rarefied air of being both a movie and a film and pulling both off almost perfectly. Like it's just it has that it's it's sort of it rides that line. It's very rare that you can do it. That would be a, we could do a whole podcast on ones that that almost do and this one would be on it. But again, needed to make a nod to it because even though it wasn't a thing for me as an 11-year-old, probably around 14 or 15 it became a thing and I've seen it I don't know, probably upwards of 100 times since. <laughs> so Absolutely. I, I and it's a movie I'll rewatch with no no hesitation. Uh one of the few so I used to like be a I bought VHS tapes and then I bought DVDs and now I basically just occasionally buy in Prime. Uh, it Usual Suspects on DVD was was in my keepers category. Yeah, what a good good pick. This is one of those movies where for me, if it's if I hear it on in another room, I will stop what I'm doing. Kaiser Sose. Yeah. All right. All right. So now the now the rest list is that what we're going to run through and then wrap this baby up. I think we go rapid fire. We just go one for one. Okay. Twister. Young Guns 2. Armageddon. Rocketeer. The Sixth Sense. Boys in the Hood. Mission Impossible 1. Three Ninjas. <laughs> <laughs> I I got to say, I'm, I'm not sure I'm loving all of your lists, sir. That's okay. Keep going. Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Free Willy. Speed. Speed. <laughs> the Mummy. The Shadow. The Firm. The Mask. The Forrest Gump. The Truman Show. The True Lies. Uh, Angels in the Outfield. By the way, I love True Lies. What's not to love? Love uh, that movie. Waterworld? Hated that movie. Uh, Small Soldiers. Waterworld's not a good movie, but it, it, it at least was worth a discussion. Uh, Air Force One, which definitely deserves more props than it gets. I agree. South Park? <laughs> uh, sorry, did you just say Truman Show? I did say Truman Show, yeah. Okay. Out of Sight. American Pie. Have you seen Out of Sight? I have. Okay. American Pie, that's right. Uh, but by the way, if we're going to do comedies, and this is the last one on my list of unmentioned, Austin Powers. Oh, that's a good one. So the last one I have is the only, like, so most of these were, some of these were funny. Three Ninjas, Free Willy, Last Action Hero were just like sentimental favorites. Um, train Spotting was, mm. I had a really hard time not using Train Spotting. Yeah, funny enough, when I, I kept wanting to go find more T2 trivia stuff, and every time I Googled T2, it was T2 Train Spotting 2. Yeah. Which I never saw, by the way. Did you? No, I didn't because I like the first one so much I don't want to ruin it. I feel it could be good. It's got it, it it doesn't have bad buzz. It has all the makings of it being good, but it's just one of those things where I just I, I haven't had the I haven't had the draw to really go sit through it. But train like honestly, train spotting it was so I was stuck between train spotting and usual suspects between like I knew I was gonna do one non-nostalgic. One was gonna be just on on the basis of the film, what should be there, and clearly, Usual Suspects has to win that fight. But Train Spotting was kind of like a, a quasi special movie to me. Like I really did, it sort of opened up my worldview. And I, I think I probably saw that. Actually, I know I did. I watched it with my cousin. I saw that before I ever saw Usual Suspects, so it affected me so- sooner. I have one more on my list. Shoot, uh, Mortal Kombat the movie. Okay. It was really good. I mean, not like really good, really good. I really good. You mean like Mystery Science Theater 3000 really good? Like it's fun to watch and laugh with? Have you seen it? Oh, yeah. And can we not say that like 
is schlocky, but it's actually kind of really good. Here's the thing that I will give you about that that movie. It knew what it was when they filmed it. Yes. And for that reason, it is watchable. That's right. Yes. All right. Fair enough. I'm fine with that. All right. <laughs> we have successfully called the list. What I'm most excited about for next week is we are now finally entering an even playing field. The 2000s? Yeah, because once we get into the 2000s, we will both be of an age... No, you don't think so? No, man. You're you're hitting your you're hitting your late teens and twenties, right? Where you're you're in that like really fun, give me fun, cool movies. Maybe I'm starting to explore some uh, some internationals and some some documentaries here and there and a little gritty stuff. But you're still like you're still that like you know, you're a you're a young buck and whereas I'm in the two thousands now, you know, and in my thirties Sort of what? Well, no, actually, I was still watching blockbusters. Never mind. I have nothing. We're good. Well, I'm just, I think, well, the thing is, is like, even my memory of the 2000 things is going to be different because I was older and my brain was formed. <laughs> so I feel like we, we might have more parallels here. Whereas I have a funny feeling like Small Soldiers and Three Ninjas was never going to be on a list for you. No, but I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm just looking at a quick list of like the first, the first 2000s biggest grossing films. I actually, maybe not. Maybe our list will be more similar than I think they will. I'm not sure. I'm very, this, this will be interesting, sir. This was fun. Funny enough, this made me want to go watch more bad movies than the eighties one. Maybe want to go watch good stuff. This, and like, this makes me want to just like fly through and watch a bunch of like random nonsense. This is my big, to be fair, to be fair, the nineties nostalgia is actually my, probably my best nostalgia. Cause that is my twenties. And right. Let me tell you, it was a good 20s. So, yeah. like, those are good times. Perfect. All right. Well, let's wrap this up because we've definitely gone long, but it was worth it. What was your favorite thing on Wingman this week, Jer? Not even – there's not a second. There's not a debate. There's not anything. It was The Princess Bride. Yeah. I mean, how good – like, even just the, the the Instagram version that we put on the clip, if you, have it, if, if you can't get access to the whole thing, just so good in the end. I mean, I'm not going to say how it ends. If you didn't watch it, go watch it right now, like – let us play out the last couple of minutes here and then immediately go watch that Princess Bride thing. It, I would almost download Quibi just to watch the whole thing. It's so good. And I, it, it's definitely my number one too. I'm going to throw out the Muppet Hamilton just as another <laughs> one that also made me laugh. Specifically, Animal playing King George made me laugh like probably harder than I should have. Uh, but yeah, it was it was so good. All right, Jared, what are you excited for this week? Anything? Uh no, no treehouse related injuries. A few other little mini projects while I gear up for whatever's coming next. You, sir? Uh, I think based on how long this one took, I got to start my 2000 list today. So that's what I'll be excited for. All right. All I'll ask is for your next list. Just, you know, nothing too hinky. <laughs> all right, Jerry. You have a good week. And thanks for letting us be your wingman, everybody.